Wednesday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. It is Timberwolves preview day here on Daily Delivery. We're going to start that here in just a minute. Had a chance to catch up with Chris Hine, who covers the Wolves for the Star Tribune. Got a lay of the land for this season ahead, a season of great expectations for the Wolves after making the playoffs a year ago, adding Rudy Gobert in the offseason. Everybody a year older, hopefully a year wiser, a year better, but we'll see how all of the pieces fit together this season, especially in a crowded Western Conference landscape. Also, we'll visit with Chicken Fingers 69, good friend of mine, co-host, one of the many hosts of the Sportive Podcast. We talk wild a little bit and uh, find out why he has never been more angry about uh, about anything in his life pertaining to the Minnesota Wild. Also got a kind of a juicy drama brewing with um, NFL owners. I want to get to that at the very end of the show. But like I said uh, a minute ago, we're going to start with the Wolves today. We're going to go pretty deep on them. And so there's no real reason to um, talk about much else right now. Let's get right into the Timberwolves. My visit with Chris Hine um, caught up quickly with Jaden McDaniels on Tuesday as well. Got to ask him a question in the group setting, um, just kind of about the season ahead and what he's looking forward to. So let's let's get to that right now. All right, let's talk some Timberwolves right now. I do a lot of that when the season is ongoing, and they start play Wednesday night. I think nine of the first twelve, including the opener, are at. Target Center, Chris Hine joining me right now, of course, covers the Wolves for the Star Tribune. And it's a, it's an interesting year, Chris. A lot of expectations, obviously, after the offseason trade for Rudy Gobert. We don't know exactly how this is all going to play out. We've only seen a little bit of you know, Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns together in the preseason and in practice together. But anything, you know, any kind of questions you might have about how this all fits together. There's no denying that this is the most talented roster I think they've had in a very long time and probably the biggest expectations and for good reason that they've had in a really long time. How, how would you think about that as the season goes, as, as the season is set to begin? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think along with that, we finally got to see them on Friday night play together for the first time. And I think it just underscored the point that even with all this talent, with all of these expectations, this team still needs to play basketball together. Yeah. You know, Rudy, Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns barely shared the floor this preseason. Carl had the illness that he was battling for the first week plus of training camp. Rudy's been a, a little limited just because they're trying to ease him into the season after a busy summer. So Friday was the first night they took the floor together in a preseason game, and it just really underscored the fact that they're just going to need to to really get reps in. Um, it, it was clunky, I think, as as Chris Finch called it, um, on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively. You know, you can see them out there trying to talk to each other, trying to talk their way through different things and make sure guys were in the were in the right spaces things like that so it's a work in progress you know not just on offense but also on defense because you know the, the wolves are with rudy gobert in there adapting to a different style of defense than they played a season ago so it's a it's a lot on everybody's plate right now 
you know, I think what will be interesting too is to see how much they actually do play together during the regular season, right? Like I imagine they start every game. Obviously they're your two, you know, best highest paid players or two of them at least. And, you know, so you imagine they're on the floor together for the first eight or nine minutes at least. And then in any kind of closing situation, but, but beyond that, I imagine there'll be a decent amount of time where it's just one of them on the court. Right. And they're kind of mixing and matching and trying to figure that out. So it's, it's kind of a mixture of playing them both together and figuring out how they're best suited, what, what lineups are best when they're apart too. That's the, that's the general idea coming into the seasons that one of them will be on the floor at all times. Um, but the, the intriguing part to me about that is the Timberwolves have talked about wanting to play kind of multiple coverages on defense. And that can be tricky. It sounds easy in theory, but it can be tricky in, in practice to pull off. Because if they play one way when Rudy Gobert is on the floor, which is a, you know, a, a drop coverage kind of scheme because right. he's so good at being a rim protector – that requires everybody else on the floor to do a certain set of responsibilities. It requires the guards to play differently around screens, to do more rear view contesting, as it's called, where they kind of trail somebody as they're going in towards the towards the basket, towards Gobert. Um, but if they switch when he's not on the floor, you know, with Carl Anthony Towns in there at center, and they go back to maybe what they did last year, which was more of that high wall coverage, uh, aggressive scramble kind of defense. Um, that changes what everybody has to do. So it, it could be a little tricky to just, you know, develop the habits necessary to play one way and then ask yourselves to switch for, you know, 12 to 15 minutes a night and, and, and have the team do a, a completely different set of responsibilities based on who's on the floor. So I think it's going to be interesting to see just how they approach that in the in the minutes where Gobert is or isn't on the floor and I think it's it's gonna that that end of the floor is going to be even a, a work in progress as well it's not like this defense is just put Rudy Gobert near the basket and forget about it and everything will be fine it changes what everybody else around him has to do especially compared to what they were doing a year ago yeah and that's interesting because a team isn't just a collection of talent. It's how they play together. And that's just going to be, that's the mystery still right now. Like you're saying, it's, we, we don't know how these guys look together by and large. I mean, they, they, I think they were pretty good in, in the preseason, but you know, the only game they lost was the game where they were trying to kind of sort this all out with their starters. I mean, maybe the most surprising win they had in the preseason was when they, you know, when those guys weren't playing and they beat the Lakers who actually were playing some of their, better players. So I think that the depth on this year's team feels like it will be pretty good and maybe can kind of carry them through some of those clunky moments. That's, that's one of the things I feel like I, that that's the most you know encouraging about this team that they can probably survive some of, and whatever this early clunkiness might be because they have some of those depth pieces. I mean, just kind of looking at who came off the bench in that Nets game. I mean, the starters were McDaniels, Edwards, Gobert, Towns, Russell. You imagine that's their starting five when everybody's healthy during the season. And you got Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson, Naz Reed, Austin Rivers, Bryn Forbes, and Jalen Noel off the bench. I mean, that's pretty good 11, and Jordan McLaughlin didn't even play in that game. So I feel like the, the bench should be pretty good in that case, but I'm also curious to see who emerges kind of as the, what the identity is of that bench, how those second unit, 
kind of meshes with first unit guys, things like that. Cause I feel like they figured that out pretty well towards the end of last year. And now it's an entirely, not entirely different, but a, a significantly different cast of characters after the Gobert trade. Yeah. And, and some of that's going to be how well does a certain player fit with Rudy versus maybe Carl in terms of how they divvy up the minutes. Um, you know, not, not to say that that's going to be the sole reason why somebody's on the floor or isn't, but, you know, again, a lot of what they're going to be doing is dictated by which of those big guys is on the floor. Um, but I do, I do think you're right. I think, you know, uh, a guy like Brent Forbes has looked like he's fit in seamlessly with, with what they want to do, especially on the offensive end of the floor. Um, defense has always been his his big question mark but i think offensively i think he's going to be very effective for them um you know i i think torian prince could play a role uh, defensively i think he he uh is kind of a guy that doesn't really get talked about too much uh based on a lot of the new guys that they brought in but he's somebody that they wanted to bring back and he wanted to be back here and i could see his role being just as important as it was a season ago, especially with his ability to to shoot and a little bit of his length uh, on on defense. So I, I'm, you know, I, we've been we've been theorizing about this for months and months. What's this going to look like? I'm just excited. I'm just excited that we finally get to see yes. <laughs> what it's going what it's going to look like. En- enough talking about it and plotting out who's going to be with who or what or whatnot. Like we'll finally get answers to these questions and we'll get them every other night as this team evolves. As you've talked to these guys throughout the preseason, and I don't imagine they, you know, let it let on in, in, in the direct answers. But do you, one thing I, I want to watch for this year is this team had a pretty clear identity or a pretty clear kind of trajectory the last couple of years. And that was Anthony Edwards is an ascending young player who they want to develop into a superstar. He and Towns are going to get the lion's share of the shots along with D'Angelo Russell. And you know, Jade McDaniels is another like intriguing young two-way player. You add Rudy Gobert to that mix, and he's not necessarily a guy who demands the ball or shots, which is nice that he can affect the game in a lot of different ways. But it does change your identity to a certain degree. It does maybe change the pecking order sometimes in terms of who's thought of as number one, number two, number three, number four, things like that. Do you, how do you think that sorts itself out with this team? Are there enough, is there enough ball to go around? Is there enough, um, you know, platitudes to go around to, to make everybody happy? Will, will, will be a question I want to see answered, especially if there are, you know, more clunky moments than smooth moments early on. Yeah. And D'Angelo Russell hinted at that the other night where he said, you know, look, it's going to, there's going to be some nights where guys might have to sacrifice a little bit of, of, you know, their numbers or whatnot for the, you know, greater good of winning. Um, you know, it might not be a, a night where somebody dominates on the stat sheet, but the team wins because somebody else was maybe cooking that night. So, you know, that that's going to be a dynamic, especially with, you know, a young player like Edwards, who, if, you know, if, if he's not getting, you know, 20 plus a night is he going to be okay with that is D'Lo going to be okay with that ultimately in a contract year uh Rudy doesn't just want to grab offensive rebounds for his points either he wants to be involved and in, you know in, in the flow of the offense as well so you know like you said is there enough is there enough to go around um don't know yet don't know yet 
winning helps things. Like if the team is winning, um, you know, everybody, you know, looks worse when they complain if the team is winning. Um, but if they do get off to a clunky start, start losing some games, maybe they should win and guys aren't getting their numbers, you know, does that, does that doubt start to creep in? Um, I think the schedule sets up favorably for them early on here to, to work out some of these issues while still winning games. Um, but, you know, they also got off to a slow start last year. Last year's start was, was pretty bad. It was their, their worst part of the season was their first month or so. Um, so, you know, with a new team, does, do they get off to a slow start again this year? Believe I was writing, uh, if things don't improve quickly, they might need to trade Carl Anthony Towns posts, um, early last year. Cause it was that bad. Um, and we were, we, uh, by we, I mean, I was still pining for, uh, Ben Simmons at that moment. I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that never happened. Um, Chris Hine, I don't think that would have been the direction they necessarily wanted to go, but I think they, they, they came into it in a good place. They won. 46 games and I think they're in a good spot to improve on that by by a significant number of games um a few more thoughts for you before we go you brought up D'Angelo Russell um you know he's not the forgotten guy because he still carries a pretty hefty salary into what you what you you noted as a contract your year for him and for for all of you know the the ups and downs um and maybe that's kind of the point of all this he he really made this team go last year for for better or for worse. What what do you th- what do you think they get from him this year? A, a motivated player, a player who is you know kind of understanding his place in the organization because he didn't get that extension. How, how do you think that that sorts itself out? You know, the, I keep I keep coming back to this. The one time he was an All Star was in a contract year. Yep. Um, there's nothing like the potential loss of several millions of dollars to to motivate somebody to play their best and be available which has been part of his issue as well over the years so very interested to see how he responds this season um he said all the right things publicly you know he's come in with a very upbeat attitude um the team has also you know praised his attitude coming in this year you know, there could be awkwardness around situations like this player, you know, a big, big name player in a contract year doesn't get an extension, a lot of trade rumors, you know, these things can cause a lot of problems. Um, but seemingly it has not. Um, so, you know, credit to, to him and to the, you know, to the team for kind of whatever, just smoothing things, making sure things are smooth and running smoothly going into the season. Um but yeah, he he lifts the ceiling of this team when he plays well. Um, that is his biggest contribution. When when he is a factor on a night where he's rolling, um, they look phenomenal. When he struggles, um, you know this team might struggle overall because he has to be the engine that stirs the drink on the offense. Um, so. I just mixed my metaphors. I was going to say, did you say the engine that stirs Uh, the drink? The engine, the engine that stirs the drink. This is, this is good thing. (laughs) Good thing. I'm not, good thing. I'm not paid to write professionally for a living or anything like that. (laughs) Um, But basically he's, he's got, yeah, he's, he's got to be. And that's what Chris Finch was saying the other day is like, look, especially with him, he's probably got to be the guy that maybe takes a little bit of a, of a sacrifice with his numbers. 
um, because he's got to get everybody else going early on in the season here as they as they try and get this new offense going with with Carl and Rudy playing together. Yeah, well, and, you know, we've belabored this probably probably too much, but you only have to look back to last year's postseason. I mean, the play-in game against the Clippers where he was transcendent, got them over the finish line and got them into the matchup they wanted with Memphis, only to struggle in that series, including not playing down the stretch in game six, that elimination game where they, you know, they, they again lost a large lead and fell in that series in six games. Um, given all that, Chris Hine, I think you mentioned floor and ceiling of D'Angelo Russell or the ceiling that he raises it for them. Um, just going into this year, I feel like the, the floor is higher for this team than, than maybe it has been as, as, this, as is the ceiling. It's kind of determining where they ultimately settle that's the big question. What, what do you think is you know, best and worst case scenario, assuming nothing catastrophic? Let's just assume that everybody is reasonably healthy um, and, you know, and, and doesn't, you know, that there's not something super weird that happens. Given that, what, what do you think is kind of the, what's, what's the baseline expectation and what's the, what's the way optimistic expectation? Well, I think if everybody's reasonably healthy, I do think they're going to win a lot of games. Um, you know, I, 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 I see them winning a lot of regular season games and does that mean a top three Western conference seed? Um, maybe, um, you know, who knows? You never know with injury and availability and, and, you know, guys around the league, the more veteran star players taking time off if they have something that's bothering them a little bit. Um, I just think the Wolves, and I think this team has a lot of guys that tend to play a lot of games. So I see that as the ceiling. Now, whether that means a top three seed in the Western Conference translating to, you know, a second round playoff appearance, I think is a different question when teams, when other teams are healthy and and ready to go come playoff time. The floor, I kind of see more as what happened last year. I think that's the floor. Um, you know, play in team potentially high play seven seed ish because yeah. look, the Western Conference is still really tough. Um, yeah, and it was you know, and it was worse than expected last year. It that, was they, they benefited were, were from lot, that. They benefited from that. A lot of guys got hurt. Had had there was weirdness going on with some teams, um, and they just benefited from from all that kind of luck. Um, but you know, you look around the Western Conference now. Kawhi Leonard is back with the Clippers. Uh, Denver is getting their second and third best players back healthy this year. Um, you know, the Pelicans might be a force, for instance, at, towards the bottom of the standings. Phoenix is still there. Golden State is Golden State. Um, you know, you just you just go down the list, and it and it's like any one of these teams could finish ahead of the Timberwolves if things go. Uh, a bad way. Yeah. Well, we'll start to get answers on Wednesday against Oklahoma city, 7 PM at target center. Chris Hine will be there covering all of the action for you, the dear listener and dear reader, uh, Chris Hine, good stuff. We'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Mike. You know, one thing that was fairly quickly forgotten in the, you know, organizational and fan euphoria over how that, regular season ended last year when the Wolves won 46 games, won that, you know, early play in game, got into a competitive series. 
They started out the year quite poorly. They were 4-9 and nine at one point last year before turning things around. Uh, they weren't above 500 for a long time. That season finally got above 500. Now, it was not until they got to 24-23 and 23 on January 25th. Up until that point, they'd been trying and trying and trying to get over that hump, but that 4-9 and nine start really put them, kind of set them back, and then they finally kind of got past that point, racked up a bunch of wins towards the end of the year. Um, but, you know, that that's a good thing to remember as they try to go forward this year, and Jaden McDaniels alluded to that when when I had a chance to ask him just kind of what what excites him about uh, about the season ahead for the Wolves aside from just the season starting what excites you the most about the the opportunity here uh just a new team I'll say just really to see like how we start off and just throughout the season like how we uh react through like adversity and like through being at the highs and the low do you think about that adversity? So, I mean, last year it started slow, and you guys were able to kind of level out. Do you think that experience at the beginning of last year would kind of help you get on the right track right, right away at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I think it will. Just uh, going through that last year, and then knowing at some point of the season there's going to be adversity. So just all of us coming in as one, and then just trying to fix the problems we have or certain things through the offense and defense. And that was Dane Moore on the follow-up question there, and you know just. I think that's an interesting point. This is a team that has, you know, a lot of the same key core pieces that they had a year ago. But when you bring in Rudy Gobert, expectations change and your style of play is going to change a little bit. How does that look early in the season in particular as they're trying to sort all this out? Now, I think the schedule, like Chris Hine and I talked about, is favorable. Nine of the first 12 at home. They start out with Oklahoma City, a team that's definitely still in rebuild mode. So, you know, a lot of these veteran players they have and the defense they should have can carry them in these early moments, I think, when they're still trying to figure out everything that they're trying to do offensively. But that's that's a point to watch this year. How, how quickly does this all come together um, as they try to not just make the playoffs, but become a team that's a real threat in the Western Conference? So looking forward to that. That all gets underway tonight at 7 p.m. at Target Center against Oklahoma City. Read all of Chris Hines' coverage, of course, in the Star Tribune and on startribune.com, and I'll have some more thoughts on the Wolves in written form on Wednesday on the website as well. One of the best things about daily deliveries, we occasionally have a recurring segment called, Have You Ever Been More Angry? And for that segment, I bring in my good friend Chicken Fingers 69 of Twitter fame, of sportive podcast fame, and uh, Chicken Fingers, sir, I was a guest on your podcast last week where we talked about the wild and you expressed a great deal of pessimism about the team's goaltending situation. I want to talk to you about that and the disappearance of Marco Rossi's playing time. Um, those two things in tandem, sir, I have to ask you, have you ever been, have you ever been more angry? Michael, thank you for having me on again. And no, I have never been more angry. Seems like a, every time you are on, your anger is eclipsed. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's just how it's going to be for the rest of your life. You're just going to keep getting angrier and angrier. But I think in this case, it's, <laughs> it's warranted. You tried to warn the wild about this, about the goaltending. You said, I don't, I don't know if I like the plan of Flurry and Gustafson. Flurry didn't look great in your estimation a year ago after they got him. Didn't look great with Chicago before he was acquired. And this year uh, has not uh, has not been great. Now I will say, Capo uh, Kakinen has not been up to a good start, and Cam Talbot's hurt. So I'm not I'm not sure the alternatives were all that great. But 
what they have decided to do right now. Uh, 20 goals in three games doesn't lie. Yeah. And what are they going to do about it? They've kind of painted themselves into a corner. They, um, you know, the, the original plan was to have Fleury and Talbot and Talbot got hurt in Ottawa. And would he have gotten hurt here? That's on, right. you know, it's obviously different circumstance. So plan their original plan would have been had Fleury, let's say Fleury been this miserable, then they can turn to Talbot who is a proven NHL goalie um, had success at this level. Now, instead the plan has to be turning to, um, Gustafson, who's got what, maybe 20, some NHL starts doesn't have, and in those starts, hasn't shown a ton of promise. He had a good training camp apparently, but that's about all they're leaning on. Um, so no, they, they're in a, they're in a lot of, a lot of trouble there right now. Hope as you wrote is their strategy. That's just hope that flurry is either injured. Maybe a slight tweak that Gustafson can, can pick it up with experience. Um, that's their strategy that their defense can play better. Um, I don't know how much hope it is a strategy, but uh, yeah, that's really all I've got. Well, and you know, the, the best goalie in the organization or the most promising one is obviously Jasper Wallstead, but he's 19. He won't be 20 until next month. I mean, that's not really a plan either, even though you keep tweeting, you know, free Jasper. No, you can't. I, I, that's more tongue in cheek. Yeah. He's got to spend some time down and detasseling corn down in Des Moines or whatever they do <laughs> down there. Get him some some experience down in Iowa, and that's just fine. I understand that. Um, get him some American Hockey League experience, and before they bring him up. But no, that's not a that's not an alternate. That's not yeah. an alternative. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do. They they're just going to pray that Flurry is just going through a. A streak that he's older now, so it's going to take him maybe some time to get into the groove. I, I don't know. Player who is younger, um, and let's get to the heart of the matter here. Marco Rossi had a really good preseason, and preseason being what it is, you can't read too much into it, but made the team out of the preseason by all accounts, by watching him in the preseason, by hearing what was said and written about him. Sounded like he had earned a spot, plays 10 minutes in the opener um, starts on the fourth line, which is, it's, which is fine. You know, that, that you get, get your feet wet and, you know, it's a line that, that can produce anyway. Second game, he's down to fewer than five minutes. Third game, he's down to zero minutes, a healthy scratch. Um, that's troublesome because that's a guy you're, you know, even if you're not saying you're counting on him, you need some of these young guys, uh, chicken fingers, uh, especially, in this, the first of the uh, Parisi Suter buyout hell years. Yeah, and and you know this isn't really as you you touched on about coming out of the sport of podcasts. This the, the things that we're complaining about are not. This isn't hindsight. There was three things that we covered in that podcast that we had concerns about. It was the goalie tandem. It was the overall team defense, which I think has obviously struggled to start, and how the Wild were going to handle. Marco Rossi. I could mm-hmm. see what was coming because I'm not picking on Dean. All coaches love to do this. They love to take a talented young hockey player and say, you know what? We're just going to put him through the grind. We're going to put him on the fourth line. We're going to teach him how to play the right way. And they love doing this with talented guys because what they eventually, because talented, they love doing this with talented, young, good players because talented players will eventually be good. And then the coach can say, look, there he is. Look how talented he is. Look how well he's, how successful he's doing now. That's because 
of all that uh, fourth line time, I made him, you know, taught him how to play the, the game the right way. And it's, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I just, I knew that they were going to do this with Rossi with the way they've handled them so far. Um, and this organization did it with Zucker and other NHL organizations do it. So it's, they're certainly not unique. I'm not picking on Dean, but it drives me crazy. And you hear people talk about, well, if they're going to do this, then they might as well send Rossi to, to Iowa too and, and get him playing time down there. If he's not going to play, he might as well go to Iowa. No, play him on the, play him on the top line. Play him 18 minutes a game. They got Freddie, Fred Goudreau. I'm not calling him Freddie. I'm not calling a grown man Fred. Fred <laughs> Goudreau um, playing 16, 18 minutes a game. He doesn't have a point. He's playing on the top, centering in between Kaprizov and Zook, and he still doesn't have a point. He's on the power play, still doesn't have a point. He's played like 50 minutes so far in the season. Premier minutes, doesn't have a point. Those minutes, give them to Rossi. Goudreau does some good things. He plays defense well. That He's a premier fourth-line player, just like yeah. what they've got. The role that Rossi's playing right now should be Goudreau's role. Yeah. Have him do it. Have Rossi, and if he's gonna, if Rossi's gonna make mistakes, let him make those mistakes. But right now, Goudreau's not giving you anything offensively. Um, it's not like he's this spectacular defensive superstar. He's fine. He's a fourth yeah. line player. So flip flop the roles. Don't send Rossi to Iowa. Give him Goudreau's minutes, and uh, and let's see what happens. But if he, uh, if he can't cut it, then he can't cut it, right? I mean, then then we know. Then we know. It's pretty likely that he will cut it. He's yeah, cut it everywhere he's ever been in yeah, his life. I agree. He's a very talented player. It might take a third of a season, maybe a half a season to, for it to click, but it will click. It, but is Goudreau going to match that ceiling? No. The, the chances of that are unlikely, not just unlikely, that it's just simply not going to happen. Last thing for you. Yeah, you pointed out all these things last week, and they've all essentially come true. Have you been issued any sort of, uh, apology or any sort of recognition aside from me right now, uh, saying that you are, that you were correct. All this, that you had the foresight to, to call these things into question before the season started. You know, a couple times a day, I'll check my, my Twitter account. I'll check emails on my cell phone. There's just the regular, uh, land mail, just regular mail. I, I've called my attorney's office. Um, you know, my, my, see if any formal apologies have been issued to my attorney. Um, Nothing to date, not a single mm. apology from anybody. I can see why you've never been angrier. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's warranted. They're 0 3. They've given up 20 goals. That would anger anybody, but especially you who had the courage to, uh, to, to say, um, you know, the, the king, the king has no pants. Is that what he said? Is that the king has no pants? Elvis? Mm, oh, I, oh, you're talking about the bull pair. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. What's the expression? I might, I might have messed that up a little. The bit. emperor has no clothes. The emperor has no clothes. The king has no pants. I think I said you... that, but that's definitely staying in. That might even be an episode title. Um, I can see why you're so angry, nonetheless, and uh, I can only imagine that next time we talk, for whatever reason, you'll be even angrier. That's the way it's been going. Yep. Let's finish with the cooler. Some juicy stuff coming out of the NFL. Colts owner Jim Ursay saying there is merit to remove Daniel Snyder as the owner of the Washington Commanders franchise. You got Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft apparently sparring at the owners' meetings. 
um, some stuff about the ex- an extension perhaps for Roger Goodell, the commissioner. This is a this is getting kind of interesting. I think a lot of this sparked by Daniel Snyder. There's a big story in ESPN. I believe it was late last week about some tension there about how owners don't like Daniel Snyder. They would like to get him out of there, but nobody necessarily going on the record with that until now with Jim Irsay. So watch for that. I mean, the owners love nothing nothing more than the owners love than making money. And as as much as Robert, uh, not not Robert Kraft, as much as Daniel Snyder has been a problem in a lot of different areas, um, the the way that he's run that franchise poorly from a financial standpoint is the big problem there, as far as a lot of owners are concerned. So, how that all plays out will be kind of a fun drama, a fun subplot to this NFL season. Nothing really impacting the Vikings a whole lot, but would be interesting to know what they think of. Uh, what the Wilfs think of Daniel Snyder as well, but maybe that is a story for another time. But just kind of some fun little drama if you like that sort of thing in the NFL. And that will do it for today. Should be a lot of go for football talk on Thursday show as they head to Penn State this weekend. Also full coverage of the Wolves opener. Friday looking like a great show as well. I'll have Marcus Fuller on, covers college basketball for the Star Tribune. Big uh, big recruit coming into Gophers basketball. They just found that out earlier this week. We'll get to the bottom of how someone who is number 13 in the country wound up with Ben Johnson and the Gophers program. So that will be on Friday's show. Thank you again for joining me here today. I'm Michael Rand. We'll be back at it again tomorrow.